Hello and welcome to the Being Well podcast. My name is Forrest Hansen. In our last episode, we completed our focus on the strength of mindfulness with a conversation about the difference between responding and reacting. Today, we're going to begin a new series of episodes focused on the strength of learning. Particularly, we're going to look at the practical how that underpins any of the personal growth work that we do. How can we get more of the useful strengths that we discuss, like mindfulness, courage, and compassion, into our often uncooperative brains? And to help us through this, I'm joined, as you can hear, by Dr. Rick Hansen. Dad, how are you doing today? I'm good, and I'll try to get my brain to cooperate. <laughs> so to, to frame this conversation, why learning as a strength? I, I don't think that in general, learning is something that people intuitively think about mm -hmm. as being an inner strength. It's more this kind of ephemeral process that just sort of happens. Yeah. I want to answer this question in a certain kind of way, thinking about sure. my own childhood. Mm -hmm. And when I look back on my childhood... There were two or three things that were really important for me. There were refuges. One was being out in the orange groves and the uh, hills around my home, out in nature, by myself, typically. And the other great refuge for me, honestly, was science fiction. Mm. I started reading when I was young, and I began devouring that stuff by the time I was probably eight years old. And it was a very powerful influence for me and because... In the world of science fiction, mm -hmm. the main characters typically uh, were able to solve problems. And as they solved those problems, they learned things and developed along the way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so that fundamental idea of solving problems and learning things and mm -hmm. becoming more competent, becoming more capable was absolutely central to me. And it seemed to me increasingly as my ticket out of my childhood. In other words, as an overarching value, it seemed that the best thing a person could do would be to develop themselves most fully because you take yourself wherever you go. Yeah. It's, mm -hmm. it's kind of like the Renaissance person strategy to develop yourself in many different kinds of ways, particularly in the larger context of a changing world, mm -hmm. changing times. So as the world changes around us, we don't really know what we're going to need five years from now or 10 mm -hmm. years from now or even five months from now. But our general purpose capabilities that we have inside ourselves, like willpower, determination, understanding other people, understanding ourselves, mm -hmm. those are the kinds of things you can use wherever you go. All right. Yeah. So then the question became, how do you get that stuff? How do you develop yourself in that way? And what occurred to me is that the fundamental thing to get good at is getting good at things. It's like this superpower that's applied to all the other mm -hmm, superpowers mm -hmm. you yeah. want to grow. And when I realized that, it was honestly revelatory for me. I was kind of in my mid-teens when I got that. And I realized, holy moly, and I almost even imagined like the lifespan for any individual as like a graph over time, okay. right? And you want your lifespan graph to be rising rather than sinking. <laughs> yeah, okay, you're, you're improving at things over time. Yeah, you're getting better at various things. You're mm -hmm. learning how to drive a car, learning how to talk to a girl mm -hmm. at a dance. Yeah, you know, I was 15, all right, give me, you know, give me some <laughs> help here. Anyway, or anything you want to learn how to do, I realized, oh my goodness, if you knew how to learn things, if you knew how to develop, including emotional development, you could apply that to just about anything. Yeah. And that, in terms of also my desire to be autonomous and self-reliant and a kind of scruffy take on the world that, man, oh man, at the end of the day, 
what it boils down to pretty much is what you got inside yourself. Mm-hmm. That's what you can generally count on. Even as, of course, you love other people and try to form relationships with people that you can depend on as well. But still, at the end of the day, people leave home. People yeah. die. People lose interest in you. Things happen to them. The world changes. So bottom line, Ed, mm-hmm. it was just a blinding flash of light, as it were, when I realized that the best thing I could do for myself would be to learn about learning in the broadest sense. That makes a lot of sense. And I think that in many ways, you just kind of gave the mission statement of the book that we just wrote. <laughs> like if you could boil the book Resilient down to one paragraph or maybe given that response one page, it would it would basically be that theory of bad stuff happens around you. Yeah. So what can you do inside of yourself to make yourself more, well, resilient in the face of that bad stuff that happens externally. Yeah. And the way that you do that is getting good at developing those inner strengths. For me, and this is probably a broader conversation, the single biggest problem with kind of the self-help industrial complex as yeah. a whole, if you want to talk about it that yeah. way, is that we're really, really good at telling people what we should do. Mm. You know, you should be nicer to people, you mm. should go to bed on time, whatever. But we're relatively bad on telling people how to do it. Hmm. And what you're speaking to here is that practical how. Yep. So I think the obvious question is, how do you do that? How do you right. get better at getting better at things? Yeah. Something's happening inside your brain when you're learning. Yeah. What is that thing and kind of how does it work? That's right. So for me, and I probably like many people, this all started out experientially. For mm. example, mm-hmm. maybe I'm talking with somebody like in college, late at night in my dorm room, and I realize in conversation with that person that they have a way of looking at things, let's say, an attitude, an Mm -hmm. outlook, Mm -hmm. that would be really good if I had myself. (laughs) Sure, yeah. (laughs) You know, for various reasons. Uh So in that moment, I'm recognizing consciously an attitude or an outlook, and I'm trying to help it become, in effect, a new habit Mm -hmm. of sorts for myself. And so there's an experiential sense of trying to help a new perspective, a new outlook, a new attitude land and become more and more my nature mm-hmm. so that rather than having to deliberately call it up uh, in some ways in resistance to or tension with my, pre- my, my habit of doing things, mm-hmm. over time, this new outlook, this new way of looking at things, this new attitude can become just automatic inside myself. And technically, later I learned as a psychologist that this is a very fundamental progression as we move from deliberate behaviors to more automatic behaviors. Mm -hmm. And that's a very efficient and important thing to have occur over time. So that's the feeling of it all. I explored that feeling for a long time, Mm -hmm. and then... uh, Probably around 20, 30 years ago, I began understanding it much more fundamentally in terms of our neuropsychology, Mm -hmm. the ways in which the experiential process of growth. And by the way, that's something really useful to be mindful of, to be mindful of growth, Mm. mindful of learning, mindful of development, mindful of the process of Learning that sticks. What do you mean by that exactly? So do you mean um, paying more attention to moments when you have learned something? Or do you mean 
trying to feel I, I don't know it's such an ephemeral thing that it feels like you're talking about that i actually have a hard time putting it into words yeah so i'll get i'll give you a very yeah. sort of soulful example sure. that speaks to a lot of people mm-hmm. so there you are let's say if you have had a history like me and probably like a lot of people where in the back of your mind you don't feel that lovable mm-hmm. or likable or you struggle against parts of you that feel inadequate or inferior. So let's say that's the case. And then let's also say you're with someone and it could be a very ordinary encounter. Uh, I've had some of my deepest conversations sitting next to strangers on a bus Mm. or having Mm -hmm. picked up a hitchhiker or having been a hitchhiker when I was young, wherever it might be, or maybe it's your friend or your partner and you're with them and they're looking at you in a certain way or they're saying something about you, uh, or they're telling you something that you've done for them. Mm -hmm. And in the moment of that, you feel more lovable or likable or worthy or adequate or competent or valuable than you normally tend to feel. And in that moment, a little voice inside you says, whoa, let this in. This is a keeper. Yeah, okay. You're, You're in pain. You've been suffering. You've felt inadequate. This is something to let in. So there's a process. That's a natural process of really observing what the other person is telling you. In my example here, letting yourself feel it in your body and then tracking the ways in which that feeling in your body of being, let's say, more likable, more lovable, more adequate, et cetera, is kind of sifting down into you, Mm -hmm. settling into you. Now, what I'm describing probably is a process 5, 10, or 20 seconds in duration. Mm -hmm. It's fairly quick. But with growing mindfulness, which you and I have explored, with practice, you can be really aware of that process, which is lasting a couple dozen seconds. Mm -hmm. And that's what I mean by mindfulness of the learning process. So that's a really felt description mm-hmm. of what learning feels like in the body or, mm-hmm. or feels like in the heart, however yeah. you kind of want to describe it. What's happening in the brain while that's going on? Yeah, that's a super good question. And it's fascinating. So mm-hmm. I'll really try to summarize a yeah, lot of no, stuff okay. here. The basic idea is that as we have experiences, in other words, as we have thoughts or we uh, perceive things, sights, sounds, tastes, touches, smells, as we uh, feel things in our body, as we have emotions, uh, et cetera, et cetera, okay? As we're having experiences, those experiences correlate with and are tightly correlated with and based upon, and in some fundamental sense, they are the result of underlying physical, biological, neurological processes. Mm -hmm. Mental activity entails neural activity. There might be magic, there might be transcendental (laughs) factors in the mix, supernatural processes, Mm -hmm. but otherwise, experience is a natural phenomenon. Mm. For us humans or other animals with nervous systems that are having experiences, to have those experiences, something has got to be happening in the brain. Mm -hmm. So now we have basically a tight correlation of two levels of looking at things. And to go back to my youth growing up in pools in Southern California, sometimes you would put on goggles as a kid yeah. and you would stand in such a way that the water line came right 
kind of halfway through the face mask. Mm -hmm. And uh, the lower half would be the water and the upper half would be the air. So it's a little bit like that. So we have these two realms, the realm of the air and the realm of the water or the realm of the mind and the realm of the brain. And so we have a tight correlation continuously between immaterial, not physical, mental phenomena, our experiences Mm -hmm. tightly correlated with underlying material neurological processes. A state in the brain leads to an experience that you're having. Yeah. Okay. Or more, or well, vice actually, versa. More, more technically, mm-hmm. there are many states in the brain that are unconscious. They do mm-hmm. not manifest as their um, phenomenology or experience mm-hmm. in the moment. Mm-hmm. To the extent that all experiences are natural phenomena mm-hmm. that um, occur due to natural causes, distinct from supernatural or transcendental God type causes. Sure. To the extent that experiences are natural phenomena, they must require underlying physical an underlying physical basis. Okay, yeah. Okay? Mm-hmm. So it, it sounds kind of exotic, kind of makes your head spin, but then when you come down to it, you realize, oh, of course, that's got to be true. Change your brain, you change your mind. Mm-hmm. You know, take, drink some coffee, um, get a concussion, take some psychedelics, <laughs> change your brain. It's going to change your attitude, your emotions, your thought processes. So here's the takeaway, though. If repeated patterns of mental activity entail repeated patterns of neural activity, necessarily, repeated patterns of neural activity leave lasting changes in their wake Mm. in neural structure and neural function. That process of change Mm -hmm. due to experiences has a fancy title. It's called experience-dependent neuroplasticity. Mm -hmm. Neuroplasticity being simply that the nervous system is plastic, it's changeable, mm-hmm. based on the information flowing through it, particularly the information that is the basis of our uh, immaterial experiences. All right? This means fundamentally that a person can deliberately um, have beneficial experiences or highlight them, really notice them, really focus upon them. And second, a person can deliberately interact with those experiences by sustaining them or feeling them more fully in the body or tracking what's rewarding about them or through other means in such a way as to heighten the traces that they leave behind. In other words, to maximize uh, the gain you get from your beneficial experiences And this process to finish is summarized in the cool term from Jeffrey Schwartz at UCLA, self-directed neuroplasticity. Mm -hmm. So you can guide the process by which your brain develops new structures, new tendencies, things like that. And that's sort of the core of learning that you're describing here. That's exactly right. And at one level, uh, a reasonable person would say, well, thank you, Captain Obvious. That seems so true. Mm -hmm. But actually, like many things that are obvious... It has profound implications mm-hmm. if we really uh, make use of the obvious fact that's under our nose all mm-hmm. day long. And what the implication is, is that a person over the course of the day can maximize their gain from the experiences they're having. Mm-hmm. Secondarily, by nudging their experiences in useful directions, that's a pretty familiar idea. Mm-hmm. But in particular, 
once a person is having some kind of beneficial experience, some kind of useful attitude or useful insight or uh, enjoyable, pleasurable, wholesome feeling in the body, a useful emotion like gratitude or love, once a person is indeed having those experiences, then they can help the residues be to the maximum possible from those useful experiences multiple times a day, which then means that over the course of a day, a person has the power in themselves to go to bed a little wiser, a little more patient, a little happier, a little more loving than they were when they got up in the morning. Here too, a person could say, oh, well, that sounds really so obvious. Right. In my personal experience, as a longtime therapist, long-time business consultant, workshop teacher, online person, whatever, very few people, even in um, the world of self-help or positive psychology or clinical psychology, uh, coaching, human resources training, trauma work, very few people, in my experience, are deliberate and sustained in their own personal guiding of and optimizing of their personal growth process over mm. the course of a day. Mm -hmm. So you alluded to that process in kind of a general way earlier when you said, you know, you can search for positive experiences in your life. You can even kind of go out of your way to create a few new positive experiences. When you have those positive experiences, you can really feel them absorbing into you and kind of sinking into your body. I know that you have a more formal codification of that process, and would you mind describing that? Oh, sure. Learning, broadly defined, includes healing, development, growth, even awakening. Mm -hmm. um, and certainly it includes becoming more skillful with other people or with your own mind. That learning process has inherently two necessary stages. Mm -hmm. The first stage of learning or development, including the acquisition of psychological resources, as we're exploring in this podcast, that process begins with having an experience mm -hmm. of whatever you want to grow. There's a little teeny bit of learning that occurs through unconscious processes, but the vast majority of it starts with having an experience. That's the front end of the learning process. You're having a useful body sensation, emotion, thought, attitude, desire, etc. That's where we start. Then there's the second step, which is necessary for any kind of lasting learning to occur, in which the underlying pattern of neural activity that underpins, undergirds, is the basis of the experience, that underlying pattern of neural activity, which is very transient, must produce some kind of lasting physical change. Otherwise, by definition, duh, no learning. So we have these two stages. Terms I use are activation to installation, or more generally, from state to trait. It's the two-stage process. And one of the takeaways here is to appreciate how often we're actually having beneficial states mm -hmm. of being, one kind or another. Something feels good. We realize something. There's a moment of reassurance and relief, a moment of accomplishing a task. Uh, you enjoy the cup of coffee. Moment after moment after moment. That stuff's happening. A humbling question. How much of that actually sinks in? Mm -hmm. How much of that produces any lasting movement toward uh, the development of radiant true happiness. Hmm. And that's where the great opportunity is, in my view, to get much more attentive to, deliberate about, and skillful with 
the second necessary stage of step of the learning process, the installation stage. Mm -hmm. So you're describing those two stages of the learning process where you have activation and installation. So in the activation state, you're experiencing something good. You're having the experience of a thing that you want to turn into an inner strength. And you emphasized the second stage, that installation phase, which you mentioned, hey, we're a little bit less good at this one. And that was also kind of a little bit of my critique of self-help in general. We're yeah. good at saying, be happy. We're bad at being like, here's how you internalize happiness in a meaningful way. Yeah. So would you mind describing that second, that second stage and particularly kind of the how of that second stage yeah. in a bit more detail? Definitely. So I, as you know, I use this acronym HEAL, H-E-A-L, mm -hmm. to summarize the fundamental neuropsychology of learning mm -hmm. in a very easy and practical way way to think about it. And for starters, H stands for have. Have a beneficial experience. Mm -hmm. I personally prefer the word beneficial to good mm. because a lot of our beneficial experiences are not so much good experiences. They're just useful. Like you have a useful perspective on things. Or sometimes what you really want to help land inside you is remorse. Mm -hmm. so that you don't do that thing again. Yeah. Or maybe what you need to really land inside yourself is a kind of cold, clear wind of disenchantment where you just start to recognize, rut row, this is a dead-end job, and mm -hmm. I've really got to get out of here. So the experience might not feel good, but it yeah. is useful. It's is the useful. distinction you're drawing. Yeah, yeah mm -hmm. and then also this way of thinking about it is beneficial, often enjoyable, uh, or use or useful, enjoyable or useful, often both. This way of thinking about it as well undermines the tendency that you sometimes see in positive psychology where people fake it till they make it mm. or they chase pleasures of various kinds. So the HEAL acronym briefly is starts with H for have. Mm -hmm. Have some kind of useful, beneficial experience in the first place. Typically because you simply notice it's already happening and you decide not to waste it on your brain. Yeah. Sometimes because you deliberately create it, like calling up an experience of gratitude. Then we move into the installation phase of learning, the forgotten stepchild in psychology <laughs> and self-help, installation. So E stands for enrich. Help the experience be big. Help mm -hmm. it be lasting. I think in our next podcast, we'll get into some of the details of this, so mm -hmm. I'll just give a bit of a summary here. So you, you want to help the experience be big in your mind and last in your mind and feel it in your body. Mm -hmm. A stands for absorbing, in which you sensitize and prime and kind of turbocharge the memory-making machinery in your own brain. In effect, if the half step is to get a good song playing in your inner iPod, mm -hmm. and the enriched step is to turn up the volume of the song and keep it playing. Then the absorbing step is to kind of turn on the turn up the gain on the internal recording apparatus mm. that converts that song that's playing mm -hmm. into some kind of lasting physical recording in the nervous system. And the way absorbing works experientially is to sense and intend that the experience is establishing itself in you, it's sinking into you, it's becoming a part of you while tracking what's rewarding about it, like what's enjoyable or meaningful about it. You were describing that 
experientially earlier, basically, when you were talking about the feeling in the body yeah. of that enriching and absorbing experience. Is that about accurate when you were talking about something landing on you yes. and really kind of sinking into you yeah. and all of that? Okay. Yeah. We start with the experience which routinely, uh, under ordinary conditions, would tend to flicker through the mind within a few seconds. And we're just on to the next thing or mm -hmm. chasing the next shiny object. In this practice, we slow it down. Mm -hmm. Once you get that song playing, then you really move into the installation phase, the recording phase of it. That's the fundamental neuropsychology of learning in three letters, or H-E-A, have, enrich, and absorb. And then the optional step in the HEAL framework is linking, L for linking, mm -hmm. in which we do something that we all know how to do. When I talk about it, it might sound a little exotic, but we all know how to do it, in which we are aware essentially of two things at once. We're aware of something negative, like old feelings of inadequacy off to the side of, the, of awareness. And in the foreground of awareness, we are aware of something positive, mm -hmm. like current feelings of being loved, included, seen, valued, and liked. All right? So since neurons that fire together wire together, in the famous saying, mm -hmm. if we're aware of two things at once and we keep the positive bigger and we don't get hijacked by the negative, then over time the positive will associate to the negative, soothing it, easing it, bringing wisdom to it, and potentially even replacing it entirely. That sums up the fundamental process of learning. The link step, the last step, is optional for two reasons. One, it's not inherently necessary to acquire psychological resources of various kinds. It's not necessary to grow and develop in a variety of ways. And second, um, the link step is risky for some people with some material because they get quickly hijacked by the negative. Don't borrow trouble. <laughs> you know, don't look, don't go looking in those corners until you really uh, use the first three steps, the mm -hmm. first three steps for a while to resource yourself and develop strengths inside. That said, the link step is very powerful and arguably it is necessary ultimately to clear out trauma fully. That's a great overview, and I think it's a good stopping point for this episode. During this introductory episode into the strength of learning, we looked at why learning is a strength and what we mean when we say learning, how a temporary external state gets transformed into a lasting neural trait by really paying attention to it, enriching the experience, absorbing it into you, and then, if you want to, at the end with linking there, pairing that experience to a negative one that you've had in the past, allowing it to kind of refresh and replace it over time. In our following episodes, in the next couple of episodes we're doing over the course of this series, we're going to take a look at all of those stages really in detail. And if we can get good at learning, we can really get good at anything that we want to get good at over the course of our life. So in our next episode, we're going to be focusing on the installation phase of learning and really looking at how we can enrich and absorb the positive experiences that we have in the flow of everyday life and internalize them as lasting strengths. So until then, thank you for joining us. <laughs>